0: I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central Show, brought to you today by MTN Business. Now, we have an exciting lineup, two guests in the studio, co-CEOs and co-founders of Blue Label Telecoms, Brett and Mark Levy, both brothers, of course. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, jo- mark, for joining yeah. us in the Tech Central Studio. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because there is a heck of a lot to talk about. <laughs> you announced your uh, annual it was your annual results last week for the uh, year ended July, is that right? May. May, yeah. May, in May, that's right. Your uh, interims are in November. Correct. Okay. Uh, the share price took a bit of a hit after those uh, results uh, came out. Um, what happened? Why, why, was, why were investors so taken aback? Let me, let me pick on you first, Brett.
1: Mm-hmm. So, first of all, thank you for having us. It's a
0: pleasure. Thank you for coming through. I think,
1: so first of all, I think if you have a look at Blue Labels' results, I think they were pretty decent Uh, Blue Label excluding Celsius was up 9% for the year. I think investors agree as a whole that that was quite a strong performance in this economy. In this economy in the last year, which is. And I think actually the feedback on Blue Label results have been good. In fact, better than expected. I think the problem is with the consolidation and how we're reporting on Celsius, I think the market, I think we're tired of two things. The first one was the lack of information that they had on Celsi. Mm -hmm. And what we did try to explain to them that in the past we gave information that wasn't enough, so we got the same backlash. So what we really tried to do this time was, you know, offer Celsi directly to the investor community, to the shareholders, and say, take your time out, go sit with them, Mm -hmm. and go and ask all the hard questions and the good questions. So we thought actually we had covered for it, but obviously it seems like we hadn't. And then the biggest problem is the complexity because of Ifrs, the restructure again. You know, we're, we're the first to say it's complex to read, but mm-hmm. you know, it's no no difference to what we had tried to explain. a way that it was going to be complex, and uh, the numbers are 100% correct, but they complex the complexity around it is hard to read. So mm-hmm. I think for most of it, uh, I think people are just tired tired of not having enough information. And tired of just not actually being able to understand the sell component of it, which then complicates the entire component of our results
0: do you think the risk off sentiment in the South African market at the moment and and blue labels shares are not the only ones that have that have come off significantly in the last year. do you think that risk off sentiment about South Africa has also played into your your share price? Um, I think what we've realized we oh, we just come back from a uh, local
2: show is a lot of funds have a lot of stocks to look after. Okay. And uh, I don't want this to come across as an excuse, but the minute it gets too complicated, the amount of time it's oh. needed to dissect and and understand a set of accounts when you're a single guy following 30 stocks mm. and we're a small cap stock, I think the amount of time is needed. So we're uh, getting a lot of, um, resistance for guys to spend time because it will take you too long to unpack mm-hmm. versus a okay, no bigger company. That's the feedback we okay. got. Whether you like it or not that's the reality. And Brett was saying unfortunately we caught with this need to report in the way it is. It's not yeah. by design,
0: it's the way it has to be. Is there, yeah. is there anything, though, the Blue Label could be doing to make those numbers easier to understand, perhaps unpacking them in a different way, presenting them in a different way so that, so that there isn't this confusion in the market? Well, you've got two types of investors. You have a retail investor and you have a fund
2: investor. Yeah. So if you go to our largest in, uh, investors in the funds, they lack our disclosure. Okay. Because we give enough disclosure. And if the minute you understand the business, you can go to line 26, page 4, and, and, yeah. and work your way through it. But it, it takes, takes some time to do that. But it takes time and to get there. Those who haven't especially retail investors yeah. it's very complicated yeah. so what we try to do is we offer time. We spend Brett and myself and our CFO an inordinate amount of time explaining so as much as people want to engage we will engage. We've never shied away from engagement. We've never shied away from the hard questions mm-hmm. and we encourage these guys to to contact us. So yeah I, I think it's more of the will yeah. and time and if those two things don't alarm but they collide then something has to face yeah. or suffer the consequence
0: all right all right we're going to unpack uh, those numbers in some more detail and also talk about um, cell c and how that fix it, fits into the blue label picture going forward but Mark, maybe for the benefit of people who don't know the Blue Label business, probably most people have heard of Blue Label telecoms. I think a large segment of the population probably doesn't have a clear idea of what you do. They may think airtime, prepaid airtime, but you're much bigger than that. Um, give me the elevator pitch. How did this business get started? How, how did you two decide to start Blue Label? And, and, then, and what, what are its key focus areas? How does this business actually make money?
2: All right. It's a, it's a great question. I'm always smiling because we've been talking about so much about SLC. people forgot that Blue Label actually <laughs> exists. But Blue Label's been around since, call it 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. with a simple belief that the need to move product throughout South Africa at a very cost-efficient, seamless manner. Now, whilst we fast forward 20 years and we say, oh, we understand what you're saying, back in the early days, things were physical. Digital, virtual was a a pie in the sky. Um, And in hindsight, when we talk about wallets and clouds, I think we were there. By Mm -hmm. default, we just didn't have a good word for it. (laughs) So in our early days, uh, we started to, you know, we come from electronic distribution backgrounds. uh, And we started moving uh, car radios and stereos and TVs in the good old days. And what that allowed us to do was build a phenomenal distribution network. Then this thing called cellular, mobile, came onto, you know, in the late 90s, first came onto uh, the circuit. Mm-hmm. We decided, hey, guys, well, maybe it's something we shouldn't ignore. We don't think it's going to be very big, but let's climb into it. So we started to distribute, uh, we, we were awarded a telecom license to distribute uh, phone cards. Okay. And if you recall in those days, we had, uh, they were referred to as ticky boxes or phone, or phone boxes, and we, you know, we getting out those cards because everyone took a card, punched it into those and used mm-hmm. it. And they actually only had about nine home phones, prepaid home phones, believe it or not. <laughs> and cellular was, no, it was neither here nor there. They had a couple of, I would say more affluent people who could use mobile because I'm sure at that stage it was 500 and a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't record. It was a rate, <laughs> but it was, it was pretty expensive. And then what happened is um, Telecom actually had to do something on their, on their network and we were left without a mobi- uh, telephony product. So we said, well, let's start doing, uh, you know, MTN and Vodacom. Celsi wasn't even around then. And we started distributing it. And soon we realized there was a massive appetite for the physical world. But the replenishment of the product became impossible. Mm-hmm. So you'd, we had created a, a vast distribution network because of the electronics. And what happened was a guy in Blickesfontein would say, listen, hi, guys. Uh, I need one 75-ran card. Now, there was no commercial logic in sending anyone to deliver one card 5,000 kilometers Mm -hmm. away. So we said, no problem. Our driver will be there um, in a week's time and we'll drop it. So the replenishment became a problem. The stockholding became a problem because how many 75 cards do you hold? How many hundreds do you hold? How many 20, well, they didn't have 25, but 50s of each network. So it was cash flow intensive. And then it was like leaving your cash drawer open. Because Mm. think about it, you had this box of cards and you'd leave it on your counter. It was leaving your ATM open and the pilferage and obsolescence Mm -hmm. was just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So we realized that there has to be a smarter way in in moving this product around. So we started to get involved in in looking at some different tech. Uh, We got involved with a company called uh, Check Guaranteed Services. In the early days of Infuria. Mm. So, I want to show your age if you remember what a check is. Most, <laughs> people, most people don't know what a check is. And we took that technology, which had learning capability, it had some, a merchant base, and we, we evolved it into being able to distribute an electronic top up voucher, as you know today. But not even the networks were that ready for us. So, yeah. we used to have these production lines that used to scratch physical cards and then manually impute the numbers so we could digitally distribute yeah. them around. It made sense on a whole lot of ways. We could move product around seamlessly. We could replenish stock seamlessly. And by the way, you could actually buy as you need. Now, this is you know easy today. It's on cloud. Hey guys, we had a digital wallet. Pay us up front. We'll deliver you a product in the future. Hey, we had wallets in two thousand and one, where now it's become you know uh, easy word. So that was the the beginning of this amazing journey. Was the ability to to distribute product um, seamlessly and efficiently. And what we soon believed is that through tech and our tech started to evolve, that more and more products would allow itself to become digital. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people just laughed at us. They said, times are good, everyone's postpaid, we collect when we pay, you're talking nonsense. And we had far more resistance from everyone, so it's never again. There were that huge
0: way. margins in the cellular system at that
2: huge. time. It was Dude. amazing. Yeah. it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, but it was never what you could buy for. It was it was what you could sell for. Yeah. So even if you got fifty percent discount, which we didn't, you'd still only be able to keep one, two, or three percent. And we knew early from the early days, we'd be happy with the one, twos, or threes, mm-hmm. and let the merchant uh, keep the majority because we were ab to B to C, right. not a B 2 C. Right. So actually, the merchant is the one. Uh, generally who made the vast majority of the margin. We made margin by virtue of doing the same thing a lot of times over, and the merchant had to make more because he did less turnover. But we, we learned early that we'd have to build a distribution network that was frictionless, mm-hmm. uh, that catered for s- very simple needs. Has a merchant with limited cash flow to allow him to acquire or draw down products as and when he required to take away the thought process from him from a stock management point of view, and then to suppliers to say, you guys don't have to invest in a distribution network. We'll do it for you and we'll deliver your product on your behalf and let us keep a margin. You're going to pass that margin to that retailer anyway. Let us play in in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So it made sense for everyone and it started. And I don't believe, even in hindsight, if we look at it, that anyone in the world would have thought mobile, would be as big as it is today. So the label
0: really became a, a significant early player in the development of prepaid in South Africa? Uh, oh, in the prepaid distribution, distribution. distribution. sure. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Definitely.
2: Our understanding is that prepaid was developed by Eleanor Craig in South Africa. And we were probably one of the first guys in the world to distribute a... Prepaid, digital prepaid product, not right. physical, but digital. And then if you look at a supplier, they were printing cards, the cost of producing cards, holding the stock logistically. So they got away with a lot because if you could go digital, the cost of manufacture, the cost of insurance, the cost of security, of moving physical to digital. I mean it speaks loads for itself. Mm-hmm. Anyway, our view was simple. The whole world's going prepaid. They thought we were nuts. Oh, Brett's a bit nuts. I'm a bit normal. <laughs> <laughs> the whole world's getting prepaid, but it was hard to understand because the, no one believed that there would be this conversionary rate from postpaid to prepaid. Mm-hmm. But we never said everyone 100%. We said you'd be living with some products in a prepaid and some in a postpaid. Mm-hmm. Now, when we traveled, a lot of people couldn't understand it, but we said, let's, let's play through your mind. You buy an Oyster card, you travel on the underground, it's prepaid. You pay for a monthly in advance. You buy a bus to, a token, it's prepaid. So when you start breaking it down like that, people can understand it better. And I think where we got it a bit wrong in this country was was naming it prepaid versus pay-as-you-go or all-you-can-eat mm-hmm. or something like that because prepaid just became synonymous with a poor man's product, right? Okay. Or perceived like a poor man's product. Hey, you're on prepaid. Oh, God, he can't afford a postpaid contract, right? <laughs> so I think if you know, the rest of the world called it pay-as-you-go. Yes, and that I think they would have done much better for it but as time progressed so cellular became more, more more proficient it it went through the through South Africa and we were the 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 distributor of choice no one else could literally take these products and go to any channel so we were going to the banks were not irrelevant at that stage in terms of mm-hmm. um digital distribution but multi-channel retailers petroleum forecourts um, moms and pop stores and and little guys in the street. We actually decided we need to be neutral. Find a piece of tech that could go anywhere rather than having one piece of tech that you try to put a circle into a square, Have a piece of, have a piece of tech for each vertical. And that's what I think we successfully did. We built an amazing switching technical environment that today is able to ingest any type of digital product and deliver it to any type of customer in a format that he needs. So whether it's an alphanumeric, if it's a QR code, whether it's whatever it is, we can deliver it. And that's a unique unique offering. And then the second thing is we're hardware agnostic. So you tell us, do you want a piece of ours? We'll give you ours or do you want us to integrate into yours? Mm -hmm. And that set us aside to many competitors out there that we were channel agnostic, hardware agnostic and product agnostic. So we could lump the cost of distribution into a single back office and then distribute multiple sets of products. Mm-hmm. So fast forward um, a couple of years from 2001 to today is nearly every single product that you bought historically in the postpaid world is now offered in the digital world. And you take for granted that when you go to somewhere and you just buy that product, how did it land there? I would be proud to say that we're the reasons most digital product in South Africa, lands at a merchant. We pioneered that. We're still instrumental in that and still pioneering the next iteration of digital products. And that's where, you know, we've been saying for years, we're only starting and everyone mm-hmm. says, well, no, you're not, because, you know, cellular is at massive penetration or saturation rates. Yeah, I think maybe we've got our, our, our narrative a bit wrong. We're not at telcos, mm-hmm. although Blue Label Telecoms doesn't say so. It would be more of a fintech um, smart technology distribution company and uh, that's really what the the story we're trying to yeah. get across out there that telephony is just a product. It's a big product yeah. but it's just a product.
0: The value of transactions that you do across your infrastructure is actually now the biggest segment is electricity, right?
2: Well, today if you impute because the way you transact um, is slightly different. In the past you would Act as an agent, or act as the principal. So what that means is you'd buy a card. Let's go. As the old income statement would look: is it cost you a hundred bucks? Your cost of sale would be ninety, and your GP would be ten. Mm-hmm. Today, because it's all switching, you only your income statement would be ten rand because you don't hold. You act as an agent, not the principal. Yes. And nothing in your GP and and uh, nothing in your cost of sale, and ten in your GP. So whilst it looks like your turnover is decreasing, our turnover has never been higher. So if you impute it like a normal transaction, we just shove 77 billion rand goes through this blue label machine. 77 but, billion. Yes. And electricity is probably just under 3 billion a month. Okay. So, yeah, a big chunk of change. But I think what people underestimate is our ability to do Nano transactions or microtransactions. Imagine doing a two-rand transaction in the middle of nowhere in cash, s- switching the transaction, collecting the cash, trying not to lose it along the way. And there's many, <laughs> many ways to lose it along the way. Yeah. And actually everyone makes money out of it. And I think that's a unique skill set mm. that we've developed is that we payment agnostic. So you want to pay us via cash, debit, credit, whatever. Who knows? Even Bitcoin in the future, that's a little bit more all over the place for us, but it's actually agnostic to the payment. And I think that's where whew, we're only starting because now the products that are becoming digital and us enabling the cash consumer to become digital is what's going dif- to differentiate us going forward to, mm. to any competitor out there. And that's because of the tech, because of your recon and settlement capability, uh, ability, and because of your know-how on how to move products throughout the country. And, uh, yeah,
0: Those are big 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 difference. Is it fair then to call blue label a fintech?
2: I think we're far more in the fintech space than the telecoms. Yeah, telecoms is just (laughs) the wrong place. Now everyone would say, but hang on, why are you still listed under that? I I think our board did some some analysis. It becomes complicated shifting segments. Okay. Becomes you got funds and shareholders that were telecom shares. Uh, which segment would we go under? You know, at that stage when we looked at it, there's not a fintech section. Yeah. Do you go under financial services or retail? Or, so it became quite complex in itself. So we almost said, let's just stay where we are and try to talk to people like Duncan and convince him we're
3: more of a fintech and a distribution company. Just
0: all that telecoms <laughs> bit at the end. Okay. Yeah, but you do, you do own 49.5 something percent well, that's of it. a <laughs> yeah, telecom. That changes everything. Yeah. Um, so, so let's talk a bit about Celsius. Um, 2017 was the year you pulled mm. the trigger, right? Why did you Why did you buy Celsi?
1: So I think the strategy of buying Celsius was correct. Obviously, the execution over the last six years has improved that, and, uh, and that uh, is why we've recapped it and why we recapped it again now. But we announced to the market three things, and it's actually pretty consistent to what we announced to the market then. The first one is, we said it's very defensive. It's great to have in our artillery a network. It, uh you know, as a third or fourth network, you're always going to have a little bit of a better margin. So it's very defensive from us from a margin point of view. And it's very defensive with the other networks because, and that actually proved, this pillar proved to be completely correct, actually. You know, our relationship with Vodacom is extremely good. Our relationship with MTN is extremely good. We've grown with Vodacom and MTN and Telcom for that matter now since 2017. And it's kept everyone doing good business because it is defensive. We mm-hmm. do have a network, we do have an option in a different way, but yet we do good business with each other and we do honest and great, like, I guess, honest and great business with each other. So the pillar of it being defensive was good. The second one was, you know, a network does a lot of stuff that Blue Label do in our value-added services, our distribution. And they spend a lot of money in a lot of different things that we do. And so we call it the 27 points of first rider refusal, i.e. anything that we did in our group, we would be able to go to Celci, C. And as long as we could put cell C in the same position, if not better, from a pricing point of view, and, of course, from a quality point of view, then that business would come Blue Label's way. That would be extremely incremental growth organically for Blue Label, and it would be organically incremental growth for Cell C because, I mean, as a big shareholder, we'd obviously be making sure it was the right quality and the right price. That, unfortunately, hasn't come into being because of um, just what's transpired since we recapped, so that pill, unfortunately, didn't. And then the third one... What went wrong, though? I'll get Post to it, okay. I'll, go, I'll okay. give it to you. After. And then the third one is actually equity. Because we believed we could add value because of where it's going, we would create uh, two, three times value for our shareholders, and therefore it was a good acquisition and a good, uh, a good, I guess, strategy behind. What went wrong actually is a couple of things, but let's start with Celsius itself. In the first recap in 2017, we raised enough money. It had a lot of money in the bank. Quite frankly, the strategy that we bought into as, and not looking for blame, we bought into it. We we did a big due diligence on it from management. It wasn't the correct strategy at the time. The strategy was to build its own network. The strategy was to roam and when roaming did well, you would then continue building your network. So it was actually very similar to what a telecom does today. And it's not about telecom, it's just what we had. Sure. It was a very aggressive strategy on pricing to get customers. And um, I think it was just, it was a good strategy, but too late in the game. You know, this CapEx thing in this building a network is a monster, mm-hmm. right? So... That obviously went in, the strategy was incorrect. The CapEx really, the the part of getting customers that was looking good, you know, grew from around about eight, 9% to 13, 14% at the time, grew to the most customer sales he had ever had. The revenue was huge, much bigger than it is today, but it didn't really help because it was all in uh, vain because CapEx was coming through and it was just too big. Mm So that's what caused us into another recap position, which came through in end of September of 22. And I think this time, a couple of things. But first of all, I think a much more realistic outlook of where she should be in South Africa. And that makes it very interesting because I think we now understand where we need to play. It's not a slam dunk. The South African industry is tighter than it was five years ago. But I think there's a big place for SalesSea and I think there's an important place for SalesSea in South Africa for the consumer and for the industry. So mm-hmm. the first thing is from June this year, we have transitioned 100% over to MTN's network on prepaid. So our CapEx going forward is really our internal CapEx, billing systems, core systems, all the things that are acceptable to pay in our industry and are are good to pay. Mm -hmm. And we're away from the billions and billions of fives and six and ten billions of trying to build a 4 and 5G network against, quite frankly, two networks who have done a phenomenal job. So, well, you know, when it comes to Vodacom and MTN, and I'm not sure how they get compared across the world, but they're up there across the world. So, you know, we're already so far behind. The strategy of actually trying to catch up was probably 30 or 40 billion Rand behind, never mind keep up. So the strategy of no network, I think is a spot on strategy. I think it's a great strategy. And I think if you watch now and you go in the next three, four years across the world, I think you will see this in every country of the world. You'll see one or two networks building networks, maybe in the bigger countries, three, Mm -hmm. and you'll see mocking deals or roaming deals as you want to call them for everybody else. The difference with us is we're not just a roaming deal or mocking deal. And as some people like to say, we're a giant NVNO, right? Mm -hmm. We have spectrum. So we do bilateral arrangements with our spectrum. So it makes a very different ball game where we are just on someone network roaming whereas we now actually use a lot of our own spectrum on the network that we go into so without going into too much detail there's a there's a lot of power and a lot of value to both us and the partner we're with with the spectrum as you know spectrum's limited we have great spectrum we had the same before this auction we all had the same spectrum in the 900 the 1800 and the the sub two spectrum. And uh, because, unfortunately, Celsius hadn't done such a good job over the years, we've actually got huge capacity on our spectrum. Now, it's not a good thing, but it is a great thing today because that's one of our greatest values. So, Have
0: you, have you attached a value to that spectrum? How much
1: do you think it's worth? Well, I think now that, the, I don't think actually, when the second auction took place, if you start to value what it does, the value of all the spectrum that the network's, the original spectrum that uh, everyone was holding is anywhere between 12 and 18 billion rand. and not guesswork. Now there's actually a number attached to it, as you say. Mm. So tremendous value to us. And because unused, even more value to mm. us would have liked to have used it and had the cash in the bank, but there we go. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely online. The second one is Celsius actually has a great brand and it's hot, but uh, just recently it was voted in the top 26 again. And it's obviously, although whatever it's been through, it's spent billions of rands through the year, still spends hundreds of millions of rands. And the brand in South Africa is a very good brand. So you can use the brand and you can make the brand into something much more than it's being used today. And that's a great asset for us. The third thing is, of course, we've got all the success loss. Currently, we've got an assessed of about eight, nine billion rand. You know, the new law came in, so you can't use 100% of it, but you can use 80% of it. So there's billions of rands to be used in that part of it. The fourth one is the spectrum that you mentioned, and that has huge value. Uh, The fifth one is the prepaid engine. Although it's a very difficult market, and it is changing, we have a nice base. It's a base that's been around for years. We're not trying to become the second or first network. We're not trying to go into a price war. And because of our brand and us trying to exist in places we haven't been, for us to grow by 5 or 6% is a lot easier than in Vodacom or MTN trying to grow by 1% or 2 because just for obvious reasons, we're coming off a much lower base. Mm. So we need new thinking in products. We need different ideas, different ideas in regions, and slowly that's coming. So that's quite exciting for us. And then lastly, you know, this NVNO space is a very interesting space. And I guess can Vodacom play in it and MTN play in it and Telcom play in it? Sure, everyone can play in it, right? How people play in it is different because, you know, you've got to be very careful not to arbitrage your own customer. Salesy, once again, is a bit more fortunate than the others because, They've done a worse job up to now. So we do have a very big opportunity in NVNO. We do have a lot of the NVNO space. And over the years, what Celci did do really well, they didn't do everything uh, totally negatively or badly, is they built great systems in the NVNO space, Mm. great. And, you know, it's really a good space that we can offer great value to our client. We can offer... I guess, first to, to market in a lot of things of what we're doing. So the NVNO space is, is really a critical space for us and a space we can partner up in a good space. So when you have a look at it like that, it's not that it's easy, but our fight is a lot easier in the market. You know, we're not trying to grow our prepaid revenue by 200 million a month. We're trying to grow our prepaid revenue by 30 or 40 million around a month. That's very doable in our industry. Grow it by 200 million a month, it's not so doable if you're Mm Celsius. The NVNO space, a lot of NVNOs coming away, a lot of NVNOs in our space. I guess NVNOs were one of those things that were also a little bit before their time. I really believe the next five to ten years in the telco space is a lot about NVNOs. You can just see how the markets, not only in South Africa, is, is shaping and, you know, people want more value-adding. They want more of an ecosystem that exists. You can see how the banks are becoming networks. You can see how the ba- networks are becoming banks, retailers becoming both. So I think the difference now is we learn from what we really did wrong the first time. We're not trying to repeat the same mistakes. In fact, we're really not trying to do anything of the same. And much more patient. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna to change tomorrow. We didn't raise more money into Celsius. In fact, we brought Celsius debt down. So we didn't lay it in it with more debt. They didn't take on more debt. Blue Label actually took on the debt on their side, mm-hmm. of which it was a two year payback from the bank. So to the bank. So we're already a year through it. We've already paid back half of the debt we took from the Celsius. So we really f- the lessons learned was we weren't going to lay in Blue Label with more debt. Mm-hmm. We definitely weren't going to lay Celsius with new debt. And it was really just to give them enough, I guess, legroom and runway to get through so that they then turn the hockey stick in there on their own. So, so next year for Chelsea, I think it's going to be a good year. I think in our world it's going to be a great year. And I think, uh, I think it's going to be a nice, interesting year for us. And it's not going to be simple, but I think we know where we're going now.
0: What should investors be looking for, uh, for clues around a turnaround at Selsey? What 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 are they going to be the early successes that you guys are measuring for turning this business around? So I think first of all,
1: I mean, and this is, I'm not saying it's confusing for me, but I think we had told the market that this year was a year where the numbers were going to be complicated. They were still coming through with the recapitalization and that, you know if you really wanted to take a fresh year from Celsee you had to take it from January 24 to December 24 we really relayed that message quite carefully and quite often so i think the real numbers of Celsee I really do because you you don't have any baggage of the write offs and you got a 6 billion up and a 2 billion down because you wrote off mm. 9 billion in interest that's all gone maybe it comes through in the reporting but come January of next year it's a totally clean first year of it, right? And I think you you take the June results or Blue Label's May results, and I think it's going to be a great indication because those first six months is going to show everything. If we've turned the corner, if we cash flow positive, what is real EBITDA represented by cash? What is our customer? What is our ARPU? Because you had cleanup of base. So I'm excited for if I can call it the August report of Blue Labels next year, and I'm even more excited for a half year of February of 25, because okay. then you'll have a full year of Celsius. Right. So, yeah, I think next year call it August, and the following February are the two key to see if they've turned it. The indicators in between, well, I guess what CELSEA has to do, and I think the market is right on the side, and uh didn't really behave like this in the past because they were part of a listed company who doesn't have majority. That's half Mm. the problem. Mm -hmm. So they could live in both worlds is I think investors need more clarity. They need more numbers. And if that's quarterly updates, just to answer the last part of your question, I think that's fair. Give them a quarterly update that shows, you know, revenue give maybe the high, you don't maybe have to go into the details of the other Mm. network, but there's like four or five key indicators, revenue, Apu, subscriber growth, da-da-da, CapEx, uh, mock-in deal. Mm Simple. And then people get the ability to do it themselves. To compare
0: and, and a Vodacom report
1: quarterly as well. So exactly. that makes sense. Yeah. So I think we're there. I think uh, I think this is going to be the last hard one.
0: Right. So you're, you're preparing a filing. Have you filed yet with the competition commission?
1: We haven't, but we are literally Eminent. imminent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now you're looking to, to to increase your stake. Now, something I didn't quite understand in your numbers was you, your stake in Celsius is actually some 60-something percent, but the reporting number is Forty nine point five. Just explain to me those, those two numbers and why they're different. Yeah.
1: No, actual stake is 49.3. It's not oh, the 63. That's what is that
0: our, 60% number you quoted? So Basically what
1: happened was in the first recap, the Chinese banks, the Lebanese banks, and the local South African net bank. Celsi had to take this debt out of Celsius because they couldn't afford, I'm talking the first recap of 2017 with no repercussions back into Celsius. So the Lebanese and the Chinese, if I might call them that, just for purpose of this, sure. they created SPV one, two, and three. One was the Chinese, oh, sorry, one was the Lebanese, mm-hmm. Lebanese banks. Two was the Chinese banks, and three was uh, Nedbank. Basically, what they did is they took out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go away, sir. <laughs>
1: Sorry about that. Please carry That's on. That's why our business is going to be good because everyone's following <laughs> everyone, right? And what they did is they removed it. It was actually quite a clever structure mm-hmm. with all the right intentions that the debt set over here, and then a percentage of C would cover the debt, but out of C And basically, that debt would be paid back via dividends and a profit share from C and then once that debt was paid back, yeah. those shares were actually given back 100% to SELC. Okay. To the actual, it was called the belief trust and was given back to um, empowerment and the staffing. And then the actual structure was really good. Obviously, there were no dividends paid, so that debt remained. So when we came into SELC, in order to recap last C, you couldn't leave you couldn't buy the Lebanese banks out of their debt that existed inside the bonds of cell C and then leave the SBV. It would be conflict all the way around. And once they were selling, they didn't want to have the. So it was both ways. It wasn't just one way. So when we actually took out the main debt, which was the only debt of cell C, by default, you had to buy out the SBVs as well. Some for nominal number, num, well, I don't know what's nominal or not num, nominal, but You had to buy them out at the same time because you had to link them all together. So basically what Blue Label has is went from 45% in the first recap to 49%. That's real value. Mm -hmm. The SBV value, what we did is add billions of rands of debt. We now reduce that from billions into still a few hundred million, but not close to the billions. And basically it's got the shareholding that, Allows us to get back just the money we so just the money we've invested. I um, could be a little bit wrong, but I don't even think the money we've invested into that kind of the SPV vehicles. Yep. We would then get it back via uh, d- dividends or maybe a sale of uh, CELSI, Not that there is, and then all of those shares once again will go back into CELSI, into the staff trust. So the structure is identical to what it was. The only difference is the SBVs have one fifth or one sixth of the debt that they did have, but we can only vote and act on our 49%. -hmm. That's the problem. So we get blamed 100% for Celsius, maybe rightfully so, but we don't control the board. We don't control management. We don't control operations. And that's actually what I said last year. Blue Label has to make a critical decision now. It's either got to sell down Mm -hmm. or it's got to buy up. But it can't stay no man's land. Yeah. And the good news is the board of blue label were unanimous in. We actually do believe in this re- the secondary structure and let's draw the gap. Was that a quick
0: decision to reach, or was it there nah. a lot of conversation about it?
1: First of all, to recap, Celsius second time was a lot of conversation. Once you had decided on that, then the, to go for control was easy because okay. they were one and the same, right? But there was a lot of thought behind it. What decided it eventually? I think the structure. I think if you went to Blue Label and they had to put in another three or four billion rand in the equity and how it was, I think it would have been a much more difficult decision for Blue Label. You know, we had gotten ourselves out of it. We had written it off. We, not that it was good or bad, but we were no longer laden with the risk. Mm-hmm. You know, once you got there, you got there, right? Not that it's good or bad, but we were risk-free. Risk so, I think the structure helped because we never put blue label. Uh, yeah, we never put blue label at any more risk. Yes, we laid out the 1.4 billion, but the structure of how it came in with stock and how you prepay for the stock is Celsius will always be around. This was really our belief. We wanted to be around in the format that. We believe it should be and that will be great for blue label. But Celsius has tremendous value and there if it really if push comes to shove and you really wanted it tested on the market, there are a lot of great suitors for Celsius. I don't wanna mention it, but oh. a lot. A lot. And good. It it's very important for the industry
3: mm-hmm.
1: that Celsius is there in a good position. In a good position in my opinion, by the way. Is a market share of anywhere between 10 and 15%. All right. What it does is, you know, we learned in Mexico, don't I? will tell you a story. Mm-hmm. When there's a market, it's not, our market's not like that today. But when you have too much dominance in any industry, the pricing to consumers, the distribution, the ability to do things is very difficult. So Africa actually has a very nice competitive market. It does. The telcos market is competitive. There's a lot of investment by Vodacom and M10 into infrastructure, which creates, and I don't think people give enough credit to this, a first class industry. When you, when you travel the world, you don't get reception. It, everyone thinks you do, but actually South Africa, what we've done in this telcos industry is phenomenal. And then that leads into banking and wallets. And it's really phenomenal. And, The market is shaped up nicely with Vodacom and MTN, where they are. And then you've got, if you like it, the telecoms, the Celsius and the Rains and where they position themselves. So there will be consolidation, in my opinion. What that is, is going to be interesting. Celsi, I'm sure, will be somewhere part of this consolidation down the line. And we've got an important part to play in it.
0: If the right offer came along for Celsius, would you entertain it?
1: me as Brett, I would never like to sell 100% of our stake. Okay, I think that cell C has a very important role to play in Blue Label's future. It's a cog. Mm-hmm. When you have the cog in the back end, there's so much on the front end that takes place and it positions us really well. And because we've been honorable in our dealings, I use the word honorable, but what I mean by that really is it's really helped us to do what we can with Vodacom and do it well, what we can with them. So when we go to MTN, we don't go to them and say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z with you because they know we can't. So we go to MTN and say, yeah, but we can do this part with you and they, and we do it. And same with Telcom and same with, and same with Vodacom. So it's created a very interesting dynamic for us in the market. We, we've, I mean, you guys said it, but we did 78 billion rand. I think I don't think a network does seventy eight billion. I'm not sure what Vodacom's revenue is in South Africa alone. Somewhere in that ballpark. But I think it's somewhere there. I mean we do as much seventy eight billion. It's a, that's physical cash mm. collected in our system and paid over, right? So and growing. So We're getting it right, but CELSI is an important cog that sits there. Spectrum is very powerful. Having a network in our back end because where everything is going in the digital world. So the short answer is I think CELSI needs consolidation into the future. It needs a bigger, bigger brother than Blue Label, if I can use that word. We're a nice brother, but it needs a big brother. We thought we were the big brother. We then became the little brother. Now we need big brother. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it'll be a nice combination of uh, with us in it and someone else. But I, I think it's coming.
0: The Competition Commission has become much more. Um, what's the word? R- robust. More uh, um, using a bigger stick, uh, particularly in the tech space. Um, are you expecting any challenges getting this deal through the Competition Commission? So, first of all, let's see, Casa and Comcom,
1: because you need change of ownership. It sits on both ends of the stick. I think if we had done it in 2017, as we bought it, I think it's a bit more of a, it would have been a lot more complicated. I think six years down the line, there's a lot of proof of discussions that can be had. You know, I think people see the value of Blue Label being a part of this. Um, I think a lot of the arguments that, other people would have put up in 2017 would be very difficult to put up today because six years later, you're actually going to go on fact rather than yes, mm. eh? In saying that, there will be people who object, of course. I'm not sure who they are, but I'm sure there'll be a few. But I think ultimately, I think this is a good one. I think someone needs to explain why a blue label who is not a telco, who's actually the complement to a telco, mm doesn't make sense for for consistency in this industry i think that's the right word mm-hmm. you don't want you want to sell c that's consistent that is solid that is there and uh, i think blue label offers it in a way and i think it it offers the industry as a whole something good so it can take six months and it can take two years and it can take forever and you get a no, of course but time or till, we'll see what, once we apply, we'll see what uh, objections come through and what takes place and you have to just deal with them as they come
0: And post this uh, post the, assuming you get the green light from the competition commission and ICAsa says go for it uh, what what does that mean for C's governance its board, its management team uh, is there going to be a big shake up there, how much more closely are you going to work with the C team going forward
1: Sure, I look forward to this day personally, I have to tell you eh? Because everyone thinks that we like run sales. it's so far from the truth. So, from a management team, I think there's a great management team coming in. Uh, you would have seen the, the appointment of George Mendes as a new CEO, and he's got, a I guess, the freedom to, as any new CEO does, going into a business to create his own team. So, I think as far as management goes, you know, always, you know, if you're going to employ a CEO, give him the right to to choose who you want around him and get, let him uh, fail before you told him he's failed. So I think from management, I think good. At, also, I think as we've recapped, you start to attract better better people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't mean that badly when I say better people, but you know people always need job security. So you know when you're in a recap position and there's noises, mm. you, know, you can't exactly go approach people to come and work for you. They're scared if they're gonna have a job in six months. So you do get the ability now to approach Uh, different kinds of people. So I think from a management point of view, good. And I think uh, uh, George will build it up and really happy to have George and his team on board. We've had different management over the years, horses for courses. And I think all in their own right have have been good in different ways. And I think really to take uh, Celsi to the level we have uh, and George leading the ship, I think is great. I think from a control point of view, I think that's where it becomes important. So do we want to get involved on a day-to-day basis? No, because then rather don't employ you. But I think from a a strategy and an implementation and a a board point of view, that's why you take control. You want to believe that if you have control, you'll make different decisions. And you can make decisions. And you can make, I was just gonna, and you can make decisions. One of the biggest problems is when you can't make decisions because they're not good or bad. They're no decisions. So it's not that our board is bad, by the way, and it's really, I'm not, uh, the board of sales has got different capability and different people. And in fact, in many ways, has done a phenomenal job because getting through two recaps, I can tell you fact, 99% of businesses don't get through. That's why I sell, no one understands what's going on here. I swear I'm convinced of this because Ninety-nine percent of people let companies fail like this. It's Mm -hmm. too hard. It's too much effort. It's too much bank. It's too much everything.
0: In hindsight, would you have done this? I think. Given everything you've been through, I think that if anyone
1: knew what they were about to go through, and they said that they would do this, they're a liar. (laughs) 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 Uh, Never. You would never do. It's it's so hard, Duncan. But we. We we do it for the right reason now, not for the wrong reason because, as I said, once you had written it off, the profits were mm. dwindling anyway from what we were making from Salsi, the opportunity was there. But no, I, I, that's why I don't think companies, that's why I don't think they actually make it through. It's too hard. We stuck to it because probably we never understood how hard it was gonna be. Right. Not maybe, definitely. And then once you're in it, we're fighters. We believe in it and we get bad publicity in there because they say we're fighting for the wrong reasons. But I think in some places we should get a bit more credit than we're doing certain things. We don't need to fight for anything. We don't want to fight. We're fighting for the right reasons. So, yeah, I think uh, you start to make decisions and you've got – You've got control of a strategy. Mm. Doesn't, and i go again. It doesn't mean it's a good or it's a bad strategy, but it's a strategy that you've bought in. you've got people sitting behind you on Blue Label. You're getting advice and you come up with a strategy and you go and you implement. Like a Blue Label world, we are all on the same page. Everyone's got their different... We know what we have to do. We go to work and people work in Blue Label. Yeah. It's the most amazing environment. People love coming. We know what we're doing. In Sales C, if you went to Sales C now, not bad, you went to I would imagine 10 of the top management and said, tell me the strategy, you'll get 8 different answers. Mm. Not just because. If you went to Blue Label, you get 10 answers, 10 people the same answers. Right? Maybe someone agree with what they do, but you're going to get 10 of the same answers. And that's the difference of what we need in Sales C. We need a blue-label-led strategy. And we've actually got two great partners left, eh? It's interesting. Because Lusaka stayed along, so let's oh, see. they still invested, okay. they still invest. so let's see where they land. But you've got Nedbank and Gramercy, who's a fund in America, that are actually very supportive, not of uh, control, but very supportive to, you know, they've ridden off all their money, so now it's really about what can we do to be supportive of it going forward, so... Yeah, I think uh, clear heads, patience, and um, and let's see where it leads us to,
0: but hopefully we're through the hardest. Post-assuming the deal gets the go-ahead, uh, do the Levy brothers become directors of Celsi?
1: Definitely not me, and I explained to you why not me. Because we work a lot with Celsi, and actually on Mark's side it's becoming more on his side. I mean, he can talk for himself, but... Yeah. The reason we're not directors of the board is because when you trade, we trade in a fortune. Now it's a bit less because we're obviously trying to just streamline it more. But, you know, we're doing deals on the airtime we're going to do on SMSs, reverse board. It's a bit hard for us to sit on the board because the conflict became. That's why we stepped off. Mm-hmm. We were on for the first year and stepped off immediately. It wasn't for any other reason than it was trying to separate the trading element with the equity and then more importantly was to put people on the board from Blue Label that actually were objective to s- representing cell C. Because you can put Mark and I on the board of cell C, no matter how objective we're going to be for cell C, mm-hmm. we're not going to be ultimately objective because of Blue Label, right? So I think that's a big part. Put people on from a Blue Label aspect, which we have already, that really, I think, behave with a cell C cap on 100%. But then I think it's actually bigger. I think bring people f- out of Blue Label and Celsi. Mm-hmm. Bring, like, we've got Godfrey now. Godfrey was the ex CEO of MTN. You, I mean, the RPN, what he comes with in yeah. one board, I can imagine would be mean a whole year on that board. <laughs> then you've got Maya from Vodacom, you know. Yeah. So bring, and now you, we need to bring in a banker or financial. So bring a different kind of, of people onto the board. Mm-hmm. Different, not people, different expertise onto the board.
0: My last question around Celsi is, is, is what do you want, what do you see this business being, say, three to five years from now?
1: do I see Celsi or do I see no. Celsi and Blue Label together? Both. Okay, so I, that's a nice question, actually. First of all, I see Celsi in a different format than it is today. I think that Celsius will have a big brother whoever that may be in shape and form, I think that's coming. So another investor. Another investor, for sure. And I think it will be a value-add investor. So whoever that is is going to be someone, not a money person, it's going to be someone who adds value into the strategy of it, and that can be a bank, a retailer, another network, whatever, but it will be a a strategic partner. So that I definitely see, and I don't see that in five years. I see that probably in the next two to three years. That already brings a whole new element into it because it brings, uh, from a strategic point of view, a fit. Mm. So that, I think, is definitely coming. The second thing is, I think, a very strong relationship with MTN on the prepaid side and a very strong relationship with Vodacom on the postpaid side. That's actually how we roam. Mm -hmm. Postpaid roams that way. And I think that becomes really important because I think what we add, I know everyone always talks about what MTN and Vodacom give Celsi, and believe me, they give a lot. Mm. They give us. But what we give back is as much. We are a good customer. We are good, uh, you know, the amount of money we pay. You know, I'm not so sure they invest in much more into CapEx to get out two or three billion rand each a year. So, therefore, it's a big number. If we can grow and you can grow in a a way that – enhances them in some way, well, then it's a good partner to have. So mm. definitely tighter with MTN and Vodacom, for sure, or wherever else point One ends up. And then thirdly, actually, I, th- I see Celsius at about anywhere between 12 and 15% max of market share. And I see it really concentrating in the world of brand in, in regions that we never did. In Industries of the set we never we've never played in the RT 15, it's a 20% of it's available to us. We've never played in the fiber and the enterprise place, right? So, and and that doesn't mean you see in 2017, I would they would have told you we're going to take over fiber, we're going to take over. Let's go have a look if we can get over the 20% of the RT 15, if we can get 3%. And this isn't the real number, but that's maybe 20 million rand a month. Mm-hmm. You know, to get to an extra 40 or 50 million, that's that's big in our world because we've got all this expense. We're paying for our roaming deals. You know, as soon as you bring on more revenue, a lot more drops to the bottom line. And then lastly, I'd love to see our EBITDA numbers in high 20s. Okay. Is, the I guess, the final answer to your question. From where now? I think... We'll see it when it comes out in the new year, and once again, because you have to dissect everything. But I think we are sub 20 at the moment. Sometimes we've gone up to like 23, 24. But I think if Celsi could get its EBITDA up to about anywhere between 26 and 29%, Mm -hmm. that's a good number for us. We never get into 35s and 40s. We don't have an own network. We don't have that. So I think a clear indication where we want EBITDA a clear indication of where we want to be in the market from a percentage point of view, clear indication we want to play in the NVNO RT15 enterprise and where we want to do. And uh, yeah, I think that's where we'll be.
0: Okay. Okay. Mark, I'm going to bring you back in now and we'll talk a bit about the rest of the blue label business and and, uh, what's exciting there. Um, I I noticed in your um, presentation last week that Uh, You spoke about um, gaming and how quickly that's growing. It's coming off quite a low base relative to airtime and to electricity. But um, gaming seems a bit from left field. What sort of games are we talking about here and uh, what's the opportunity? I I think it's more than gaming. I think what people underestimate what we've done is we've
2: digitized cash. Mm -hmm. So effectively what you allow is a cash consumer to go into the e-commerce universe. Which, If you go slowly and you think about what I'm saying, imagine you got um, take-a-lot and allowed a cash customer to buy something on take-a-lot. The ability to walk into a store, give 10 rand, redeem it for a, a value, go onto an environment, um, enter that as currency, and they handle the logistics or they handle whatever. And that's what we've done. We've effectively digitized cash. Mm-hmm. So the guys that have really embraced this. For whatever reason, it wasn't by design. Just by the way, we've been doing this since 2007. Our first product was something called Unipin. Mm -hmm. Unipin said, give me your cash. Don't give it to me. Buy your voucher. (laughs) Um, For that, we'll generate a token, and that token will be redeemed against electricity. Uh, Then we developed one for airtime called Ringers, and our third one was more neutral. Why do we have three different products doing the same thing? Is because the commissions were so different in those industries and merchants wanted their um, commission straight up front. We had to create different products because Utopia would be just to have a blue voucher. You don't need a UniPin. You don't need a Ringers. You could just use blue. Mm-hmm. But in electricity, you're getting south of 1%. And in gaming, you're getting 2 or 3%. Mm-hmm. So what do you pay the merchant when he sells the coupon, and hence the existence of both, which is fine. What happened was the gaming guys, uh, the likes of Betway of of the world and Hollywoods,
0: have oh, that sort of gaming. Yeah. I thought you meant, video gaming. No, no, okay. No, no.
2: So those guys have done a phenomenal job in getting their product out there. By the way, we have about I think 45 or 50 different places you can redeem a token against. Mm-hmm. The ones that have really taken up is they've done a job to say out there, if you want to, to game, uh, go online, and here's a way to redeem cash. So historically, you'd have a debit card or a credit card. You'd do that. Now, all of a sudden, you're allowing a person with five bucks. Now, there's, you can have a debate whether it's a good or bad thing, but I think consumers need to be mature enough. The net, the game, gaming companies, and I think they are, say, hang on, you have to be over a certain age. And therefore you can gamble and if you become irresponsible, uh, it's their duty to switch off. What Mm -hmm. we're doing is we're selling an ability for doing Mm cash-cash. And we've seen it grow from a year ago, not only in the gaming world, but across all the different industries from a a 50 million rand a month to half a billion rand. Mm -hmm. So whilst you say it hasn't grown, it's grown.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And continuing to grow in double-digit growth Mm -hmm. and do we think we can get to a billion in a month? I think so. Wow. Um, and as you layer on more products, you're going to see better. I think the gaming guys, not your gaming, but the yeah. gaming guys will always be at the forefront. It might settle on 70, 30, mm-hmm. 80, 20. But I think they've got a market and people want to, to play in that field. You know, just to refresh everyone's memory, in 2007, we were doing this. We had a company called Ucash. Mm-hmm. Ucash Digitals Cash. And again, I'm trying to say, Blue, Blue Label's been at the forefront of innovative ideas, but it was too early in its life cycle. So we ended up selling Ucash to a UK-based company called Datacash, and they landed up selling to a big acquirer for, I think, 500 million pounds. Wow! It was just too not only because of us; they were a uh, P2P, right? Mm-hmm. But they needed the Ucash that was the digitising cash. So I'm saying we. I think this is the the story of Blue Label. We innovative. We we're smart, I really do believe, and sometimes too advanced. That was 2007. Look, we had to wait, 20, uh, I don't know, 15 years mm-hmm. before it became relevant, same as MVNOs, Brett was referring to. So, yeah, I, I think those types of products through our distribution network because to go launch a single product and try to roll out a distribution network for a single product, there's no cost-effective model. You can't afford for the 1% or 2% you're making – to roll out a product uh, and pay for that cost of rolling out that product just for that. Mm. So we found a, a niche place to be an aggregate of products and services for the supplier and for the merchant. And for that, you're paying us, we think, a measly fee of mm-hmm. 1% sometimes set amounts. Mm-hmm. I always say to people, if you had to go to any massive distributor in this world and say, "We'll handle your full R&D of distribution, your full cash collections, your full bad debts. Your, warehouse. Uh, your warehousing. Your warehousing, your product development for 1% or 2% would you pass? I, I started to believe who wouldn't. And yet everyone thinks, you know, we, we're doing something wrong. We're doing something too right. I think sometimes
0: we're underpaid, actually, not overpaid. <laughs> what else True. in Blue Label is exciting? What uh, um, I mean, are there things bubbling under the surface that, uh, that's got, that has you excited that you think could become significant yes. businesses down the line in Blue Label? Definitely. What, what are some of those? So let's, let's talk about
2: where we see this business evolving to. We're a data company. Not data as as telco's data, but we're doing, I think, just, just under 10 billion transactions a year. Every single transaction gives you a nano insight into something. Now, if you throw all those little pieces of something into a massive data lake, and you get smart guys to start interpreting data it yield starts building different pictures which, you, which are unimaginable. So we call it a thin-file client. Mm-hmm. The traditional um, client would go to a bureau, the traditional bureaus, say, hey, here's Duncan, um, I want to sell him a contract, and they'd go through the, the bureau, build your scorecard, but mm-hmm. because you credit. But there's, we think, at least 12 million people in South Africa that have a high propensity to pay, mm-hmm. but aren't deemed... I use a word in inverted commas, credit worthy. Because mm-hmm. they've never had credit as, as you would know it. Yeah. But we've got, um, I was telling someone this morning, about 4 million people who spend more than 500 Rand a month with us for the last 10 years consistently. Yet the average contract we chase today is turnaround. So who's more valuable? But that guy who's spending the 500 bucks is ignored because, hey, maybe he doesn't have a bank account. By the way, at the end of the month, he draws all his money, the remaining of his money out the ATM and becomes invisible. Mm. So there's these 12 million invisible people that have a right to transact. And I think that's where we position ourselves is the amount of data we accumulate. And possibly one day in the future, you might land up doing transactions for free to accumulate data. Data is the future. I don't care which organization you're in. The banks have an inordinate Mm. amount of data, the networks. What do you do with that data, though? Which what, data? The data you're collecting. So I customers? think, first, we've got to be clear. We are poppy compliant, the, the Consumer Protection Act. It's a, it's a critical part of, of data. Data is a very complicated universe. And what we do is we try and intelligently identify who a customer is, when he transacts, what he transacts, how he transacts, how often he transacts, and then build a persona. Mm-hmm. And once you build a persona, it allows you then to decide what are you going to do with it? Have we done it well in the past? No, we haven't. But we've got a whole division. It falls under a guy called Sevier. It's called Blue Nova.
3: Mm-hmm. And what oh, no, Sevier. We, Sevier
2: Ramdani. Yes. Yes. Very smart guy. Um, and what we're able to do now is actually start to understand what data yields. Because in pieces, it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. But as the collective, it means a lot. So let's give you some some good, case, some good examples. 50% of all airtime sold in South Africa is to repay a nano advance. Wow. It's an astounding Great. number. 50%. And Great. I'll tell you, sorry, I could be lying. One network might be 47 and sure. one might. But let's go on 50. That means whether they buy through us or a multi-channel retailer, it's actually paying back an advance. Hmm. All right? Now, how would you give someone an advance? Well, one is you've got to own the product the good part about the mobile operators is all roads end with them. So whether I sell or not I, we sell or someone else sells, at the end of the day, they control the ledger and they would handle the debit and credit. But with the data insights, they can say, hey, I know Duncan. He's been on my network X amount. He's got no air time. Let me advance him some and he'll then, you know, pay me back or recoup it in the future. And with that, it's evolved into a market where their networks, all of them make hundreds and hundreds, if not a billion rand, plus a year on nano advances. But they have two things. They have product, three. Product, they have technology capability. Actually, they've partnered with most. Mm -hmm. Their technology to do it is actually partnered with other companies. Data, and then the ability to replenish stock. Now, what if Blue Blue Label has data, We've built our own tech. We have distribution. Well, what other product could go this route? Now, there's very few mobile operators that touch every customer because if you take the likes of electricity, you have 270 municipalities. So how do you build insight? So because you've done it for so long and you do so much of the market, your insight into electricity is amazing. You have a distribution network that can replenish stock. And you have a technical capability that's equivalent to anything out there. So why not lo- launch emergency electricity top-up? Mm-hmm. Now, what is emergency electricity or emergency a up designed for? When I use the word emergency, not that you're dying, but the real ability that it's 10 o'clock at night, you have a choice. Go into your apps mm-hmm. and get it possibly from a banking app. You're still paying 50 cents to two rand a transaction, so it's not free. You're still paying. Climb into a taxi, go to your local store, and you're paying a transaction fee, but you incur taxi fees. Or I don't have money in my bank account. I don't have money to catch a taxi. Please, will you advance me to get me over an emergency of a day or two or three? And that's how this thing exists. So I think to be clear, it's not forcing anyone into some form of bad behavioral trait. It's giving you an option to choose to get a product in a different form factor. Now, 50% of people are electing because it's convenient, well, maybe the same will bode well for electricity. Who knows? Maybe out of your 3 billion rand you do a month, maybe 50% of them would be taking advance and utilising their cash flows to do something different.
0: And there's better margin on that,
2: isn't there? The, the margin is probably similar, mm-hmm. but there's, there are more likely transaction fees. So we traditionally don't charge transaction fees. In that world, there's a transaction fee. Okay. So that, that would be margin accretive. But again, I, I think we need to be clear that people have the ability not to consume those services. Mm-hmm. So we've been piloting with that. We started. It's been very interesting, the, origin, the, the starting point, the POC. I think what telcos do for all of us is they educate so when you talk about to a person, I don't know if you've ever used emergency electricity top-up, I mean airtime top-up, that you say, ah, oh, we do electricity. Ah, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'll ask for, for an advance and then I'll pay it, pay it back when I get it in the future. So, you know, the, the, the mind starts to wonder at what products and services could be advanced. I think it's anything. As long as you're able to clip it in air, other people who will work around you. You have to control the ledger. So you have to control the debit or credit. Otherwise, people are going to work around you. And I think you need the data insights to afford the ability to advance someone because otherwise, how am going to know who you are, where you are, what, you, what you're able to get or not? So the data component um, is critical. So in that thing, we've got something called Blue Advance, which we're gonna, we started now with emergency electri- uh, electricity. We've got something called Alt Bureau, which is going to analyze people's behavior and give them alternate bureau services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so data data intelligence is the future, um, or data insights. I think there's a massive opportunity there. Um, we think there's massive opportunity in helping fix some holes in this country. Now, I know everyone's going to sit here and be a little bit cliched. I think if you're going to choose to live in this country and we're going to choose to run business and big business, We have a civil duty to help fix a lot of these problems. There are massive leakages, uh, specifically in electricity, that huge chunks of electricity that are procured from ESCOM into the municipalities. uh, We like to be as polite saying they lost stolen or evaporated along the way. And if we're able to help find those, we call them revenue assurance Mm -hmm. because they're gone. And they're that big, up to 30% in some municipality. You're talking billions and billions of rands, mm-hmm. possibly between 20, 30 billion rand a year. You're able to solve for a couple of things. One is, let's use 20 billion as a number, 15% VAT. SARS would get 15% more VAT, 3.5 billion rand into its coffers. ESCOM and the municipalities would get 20 billion rands worth of cash flow. And the person who, who's getting the product is going to have to pay for it. So we offer the municipalities the ability at, at risk, at our risk. So we say to a municipality, today you're paying, let's use a million rand a month. You're paying a million rand a month. So we'll come in and look for the lost, stolen, or evaporated tokens. If we go find 20 new clients and 20 old ones fall off the book and the million rand a month doesn't change, don't pay us. We have to, so it keeps everyone honest. You've benchmarked what their turnover is. And what we do is, again, I said we have a civil duty. We employ people locally in those markets and we do the foot test. We mm-hmm. send people with tech, with, with terminals to go around, place by place, geocode, look at the meter, see if they're bridged, then have smart people who recreate accounts to see if they're getting billed the right amounts. You will be fascinated how many people are loaded as butchers and they run… I don't even want to tell you. Smelters. I'm just going as extreme as <laughs> no. that. You should be paying three cents a kilowatt and you're paying, oh, you, you should be paying 10 and you're paying three. Mm-hmm. So it it's more of an ecosystem play. So a lot of people think just put in smart meters and, you know, solve a problem, But it's not that. It's the actual billing, it's the right amounts, it's the right tariffs. What's the risk here to Blue Label? No risk. No risk? No risk. No risk. At all? No. Well, the sorry. The risk is employing people. Mm-hmm. In those geographies, but you would only employ someone once you have an agreement. Once you get that agreement, you have your commercials, and then you employ people. So, so the bad debts are not going to sit on. No, 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 okay. no.
0: All we say saying no. to the
2: guys <laughs> is, whatever we find yeah. north of that million rand, I quoted. Right. We want to share whether it's two, five, ten percent mm-hmm. of what we find at no risk. We find nothing. Yes, we've incurred a, a couple of thousand rand in that that region. No, 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 no. We're not. But we'll, you will find stuff. <laughs> now that yeah. I will guarantee you. There was a movie where there's something you can take that to the bank. Right? Yeah, uh, it's it's a problem, mm. and I, I think we have a very simple, robust solution that Kate, that will fulfil and will employ people. Yeah, and I think that's a we got a duty. So those type of things are, are sleeping giants, you know, that we have in our stable. Um, we're able to do it. We've been doing it for twenty years. And there's very few people that can holistically provide a comprehensive ecosystem to do those things. So, yeah, it's things like that that sit in, in our universe that historically you incur the cost for. And we get beaten up a little bit, oh, a lot in our share price. But not just because of that. Only have upside, no downside, because you've incurred the cost of building and, and doing those things.
0: What do you think is a fair value for the Blue Label share price? Is that something you want to venture? What is your net asset value?
1: Yeah. One thing that this market can't say is that we haven't been optimistic, Because right? <laughs> at 15 Rand, I was telling people who buy the share, right? Yeah. It was undervalued. The truth is, I think the value of it now is so unknown because we're sell So... Mm-hmm. Does sales need more money? Is there going to be a cash call on Blue Label? Are they going to have to put in more money? So I think the value is definitely not what we trade at. I think it's totally undervalued. We've tried to give the market our perspective of it. But I think that the the share price for me personally is less of a concern, if no concern. Mm -hmm. One, we're not a seller of the share. With so a lot of we've actually it? been buying shares. Over um, how the much year. of the
0: business do you own together? About twenty-two percent. Oh, significant. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, so you know, twenty, twenty-two percent, somewhere around there. So we've bought shares along the way. We're not a seller. So I'm just talking personally. So that's the one part. The second part is we have a great relationship with our banks. Our banks are invested and in RMB. Mm-hmm. You know, we've never missed a number. When we wrote of Celsi, the first time the investor came to us, they wanted to reduce our facility. We reduced our facility down from 4.8 billion to 2 billion rand. Over just under two years, we paid them back 2.8 billion. So we've always stuck to whatever we promised. Never missed anything, actually. So where things count is what shows where your business really is. Mm-hmm. When you have a strong relationship with the banks, when you have the ability to raise cash, all the things that actually show where your business really is, not the share price. So, Stephen Costa always used to say to me, I'm not so sure he told me it was going to take this long, though." No. He said, <laughs> just keep delivering, eventually it turns. And I think that's the story of Blue Label. Mm-hmm. As long as the fundamentals are right, mm-hmm which they are, and they're not only right, they're good at, and they've been strong for a while. We're yeah. generating cash, we're making money, we, we're getting on top of things on Celsi. One day it changes, yeah. but the fair value is definitely not what it trades at. And I think, f- in fairness, if you went to everyone who's buying or selling your shares and asked them a question, I think they'll all give you the same answer. It's great value, or oh, why are you not buying it, Celsi? But it's cheap, eh? Yeah, no, it's cheap. (laughs) I think we've confused people so much; they don't know what to do anymore. But yeah, I think you just got to be patient and just got to give it a go.
0: Okay, keep going. So it sounds to me like, um, and this is my final final question: that uh, you're not considering a delisting for Blue Label even at these levels. Is it something the board has considered? Is it something you've discussed internally? Can we end the podcast before that question?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can I can frame it this way. <laughs> <laughs> I think one would have to evaluate what the best shelter returns are. Mm. Yeah. And if it made sense for shareholders to get a, rep- a return by being off the market, so be it. Uh, but that would be a board decision. Right. Uh, rather than a Bretton Mark decision. We sit on a board, we have two votes. You have many people out there. 80% mm. of your shares are held by, by other people. Yeah. Uh, it does get to stages in, in life where, where if there's no value sitting where you are, you have to look at alternate mm. Mm. areas. I mean, if you look historically, we were dividend yielding, sh- uh, you know, share buybacks. Mm-hmm. Would we do that today? Yeah, we're restricted by the banks. The banks want their money before us. Right. Otherwise, the most accretive thing we could do for any shareholder is back our shares. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're trading at a one, two, and three multiple. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost embarrassing, you know. So those are types of things we'd look at. But I, I think our board is vigilant. Our mm-hmm. board is is not emotional. Uh, I think our board would do what's best for the shareholders, and yeah, we, we we'd fo- we'd follow that vein. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I know it's not a simple answer, but it's it's probably the right constructive answer. Yeah,
0: yeah. This has been a fascinating uh, conversation, guys. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's been a, a long interview under these uh, studio lights. Right, thank you. Uh, but uh, fascinating insights into the Blue Label business and ZLC and, uh, and where, you're, where you're going. So thank you for spending the thanks time. Thanks always with for your time. Tech you? Central. Much Brett, appreciated. Brett and Mark Levy are co-founders and co-CEOs of, uh, of Blue Label. I look forward to seeing how, how the story progresses in the coming years. So thanks for your time. Great. Thank thank thanks, you. for, thanks for having us.